0: And welcome to Episode 2 of the Zach Evans Podcast. have some intro music there for you. That's one of the feedbacks that I got over the last week or so, and um, so we tried to add that in, and I hope that that is a nice addition. But uh, first of all, let me thank you so much for the great response to Episode 1. And really, it was so much fun to put it together and to put it out there and see people enjoy it and to be ready and excited about episode two. So I uh, wanted to just give you an introduction to this episode. And um, this this episode is about prayer. And probably we're going to talk about prayer in a way that you haven't heard before. And one of the things that I realized in kind of wrestling with Matthew 7, the first 11 or 12 verses, there's there's so much there. But one of the things that you've got to realize about the words of Jesus is he's talking on multiple levels at the same time. And Chesterton talks about this in The Everlasting Man. He says that the reason why Jesus is so complex in his speech is because he's talking on multiple planes at the same time. And he gives the example of, you remember when Jesus picked up the lily of the field and he said, Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these. And you think, wow, that's just such a beautiful statement. Well, then a couple verses later, he says, and man is like the grass that perishes. It's cut down and cast into the fire. So that same lily that he plucked up out of the field and commented on and said, Solomon in all his glory is not like one of these. The next second, he's saying, but that same man who is glorious, is like the flower of the field that gets cut down with the scythe and burnt up. That's an example of Jesus talking about things multidimensionally. And it's why the the gospels are so compelling. It's why Jesus' statements are so compelling. It's because he's saying so many things at one time. And that can present a challenge as a student of the Bible, when you really begin to delve into the scriptures, you realize how much is there and how hard it is to wade through everything, not because it's difficult to understand, but because there's so much to understand. There's such a depth to it. And that's true in Matthew 7, 1 through 12. Is really the whole passage is a comment, a commentary rather on prayer. But We don't read it as that. But when you do, some things open up to you. And basically the the thesis statement of this uh, podcast is going to be that prayer isn't just a vehicle by which God gives us good things. Prayer is the method by which God helps us to understand what good is. That's what I realized. That's why we pray. We don't just pray to get things from God. We pray to have a conversation with God by which he informs us about what is actually good. He helps us to understand what good is through prayer. And I explain in this lesson, and I hope it's a help to you. And if it is, please remember to follow the podcast. That really helps us out. Rate, uh, give us five stars if you can, and share it with others. Share it on social media. And that would really be a wonderful thing. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor FM. Let's go ahead and jump in to episode two, which is entitled, Prayer is a Conversation. Enjoy. All right, Matthew chapter seven and verse number one. And we'll read, uh, we're going to read all the way through verse number 12. Contrary maybe to popular opinion, this is kind of one thought. Um, it doesn't seem like it when you read it, but it really is. It's all kind of tied Together and Jesus was really, I mean, obviously the people who came to spy him out said, "Never man spake like this man." And if you need proof of that, just read the Sermon on the Mount, because there they are—all these separate statements that you can pull out, you can completely pull them out of the surrounding context and expound on them forever. But they're within this greater and grander context. Um, it's really, it's in, it's incredible, and we should expect no less. But when we examine it, it is fun to think about that. And this is a good, a good example. Of course, this is from the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter seven, verse number one. Jesus says, "Judge not, that ye be not judged." Every hyper judgmental person's favorite verse. So there's that. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, strong word, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Now you'll notice in your Bible, most likely there's a paragraph mark right there, which of course is not inspired text. Right, That is a perspective of the format. Um, I disagree to some extent with that paragraph remark. Yes, it can stand on its own, but I believe it is referring, it's it's one of the conclusions that we should make from verses 1 through 5, and I'll kind of really briefly explain that. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Another paragraph mark. Again, I think that's somewhat incorrect. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or, what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, Give good things to them that ask him. Therefore, all things whatsoever, notice the therefore, therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. The focus here, I believe, is prayer. Everything in these 12 verses kind of goes back to prayer. Now, many a preacher would say, the kind of the quippy and cliche statement that if we believed that prayer worked, we would pray. You've heard that. If we really believed that God would give us the things that we need through prayer, then we would pray. But I think that's really obvious and not that helpful. The better question is, why does prayer seem not to work? Because yes, if we all believed it worked or saw that it worked every time that we prayed, we would all pray. It would just be a self-reinforcing behavior. So why then does prayer sometimes seem not to work? Now, there's a multiplicity of answers. We could get off in all kinds of things. And then there's the the uh, stuff that's on the bottom shelf. Like, I mean, there's sin in your life. Or you think about in Proverbs where it says, He that sheddeth his ears to the crying of the poor, even his prayer shall be an abomination. So there's that. God's like, well, if you're not going to listen to the cry for help of others, I'm not going to listen to you. Uh, he says, I'll be froward with the froward. I'll be merciful with the merciful. So there's that aspect as, as well. That'll do it. You know, not tithing or, you know, having... Uh, if, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Yes, all those things are true. Okay, but for a lot of people, a failure to receive the good things that God has for us is just a practical failure. It's a practical error, not necessarily a moral error, but that can be true. But I don't believe it's true in every case. And when you kind of rule out all of those causes and your prayers are still not being answered, which I think is a lot of people I want to give you an insight maybe into why that is. So here's kind of a a thesis statement for us this morning. Our failure to receive the good that God has for us is primarily a personal failure to properly introspect ourselves, articulate our desires, and allow God to clarify what is actually good. i gonna say it one more time. Our failure to receive the good that God has for us is primarily a personal failure to properly introspect ourselves, articulate our desires, and allow God to clarify what is actually good. So I'm going to explain what I mean by that as I speak on the subject prayer is a conversation. So I want you to notice, look at verse 11 real quick. First thing I want you to notice is that God wants to give us good things. God wants to give us good things. He says, "If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts, notice it's a gift; it's something that's unearned under your children. How much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask Him?" So this is God showing us His disposition. We kind of view God as an Ebenezer Scrooge type person. You know, He's just a tight-fisted miser who doesn't want to part with a single coin. You know, that's that's who He is. And if we really get God in a corner, if we really wear Him down. He'll kind of just throw himself into the desk chair and whip out the checkbook and you know sign it, rip it off, toss it across the desk. It's written out to the, the exact penny, you know He's like, fine, here you go. Like that's the way people, I think, view God as far as getting something from Him like it's difficult. I mean it's no more difficult than it is for your kids to get something from you. or if it was for you to get something from your parents. It's no more difficult than that. It's the exact same thing. In fact, that's the illustration that's given in this passage and God's like, look, prayer is like a child coming to mom or dad and asking them for something. He's like, that's what it's like. And one way to think about certain terms that we find in the Bible, Lewis would use the the term transposition, that the earthly idea of a father and child is just a transposed version of God's relationship with himself in heaven. It's an earthly form of a heavenly truth. God's telling us, hey, look, it's kind of like that. So in moments where we get really abstract, and we get super theological and we get really deep. You know, we can kind of get lost in the nature of God and kind of feel uncomfortable. Like we're out on the ocean and it's stormy and it's, it's scary. You really start dwelling on the nature of God and who God is. It's overwhelming by definition. And there's, that's a good thing to do because we need to be in awe of him. But at the same time, there's times where practically you're like, I just need a prayer answer. And in that case, God's like, well, look, it's like you and your kids. In fact, that's why you even have the term father and son. You could have different terms, but it's like that. But God's disposition towards us is, is like a father and a son. He said, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Jeremiah 33.3. 3. Psalm thirty four seven, which is the kid's memory verse this month. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. So God is a loving father who obviously desires to give good things to his children. And of course, that's illustrated here in this passage. So notice exactly what Jesus says receiving from God is like. Because if you want to get your prayers answered, we need to pay attention to what he's saying. He says, verse nine, what man is there of you whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? Now notice what it doesn't say. That's a good rule for you When you're reading scripture is don't just focus on what it says. That's obviously primary, but don't fill in the blanks with what you think it's saying. And one way that you can do that is look at what it doesn't say. So here's what we think it means. We think it means how many of you, if your son came to you and said, I want a fish, you'd give him nothing. That's what I think the way that we interpret that when we read it. That's not what it says. We think it means how many of you, if your son came to you and said, dad, I'm hungry. You would say, I have nothing for you. I will give you nothing. It's not what it says. It says, how many of you, if your son came to you and asked for a fish, which is something good, you would give him a stone, something bad. A stone's not bad in and of itself, but as far as food goes, it's bad. It's bad food. Same thing with the next illustration. If your son came and he asked for bread, think of bread and stone, serpent and fish, right? So if you asked for bread, you'd get a stone. If you asked for fish, would you give him a snake? Yes. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't do that. Some of you would, I think, but you wouldn't do that. Now, why wouldn't you do that? Because in that context, as far as what the kid is needing, the requirement, the the request, it would be bad for them. Okay. Here's one thing we need to understand. God does not answer bad prayers. Ask for the wrong thing and you won't get it because God's a good father. If, if your kids come to you and ask, Dad, I'm hungry, can I have a snake? The answer is no. I've had snake jerky. <laughs> it tastes exactly like you think. It's like all other jerky. Like, it all tastes the same. But the point is, so God is saying, look, if you ask for something good, I will give it to you. But if what you're asking for is bad, I will not give it to you. That's what he's saying. So Jesus is in a sense saying that if we want good things, we have to ask for good things. And the good things that we're asking for actually have to be good or we're not going to receive them. And many of the things that we're asking for, and we think we're asking for a fish, but we're actually actually asking for a serpent. Or we think we're asking for bread and we're actually asking for a stone. Just like there's a gap between the child's knowledge and the parent's knowledge that informs whether or not the kid receives the thing, that same aspect is at play in our relationship with God. There is a massive gap between the asking and the giving. And it's filled with the infinite knowledge of God. So in kids, look, kids do not understand why we say no. They don't get it. They don't understand it. They, you might even say they can't. There are certain things they cannot understand. The gap in knowledge is too great. The Mason this morning he said, um, what did he say? He said, well, he held up a tootsie roll. He said, Dad, can I have this? He said, no, no. And I look at him like, why would you ask that? Like, why would you even ask? You know? And he's, yes, sir, and puts it down. Like, but why would you ask? Like, you know you shouldn't ask. And then we stopped at the gas station. I had to get, I had to get something. He's like, Dad, can I get a drink? Well, what kind of drink do you want? You know what I mean? You're going to want like a, a, a body armor. You know what I mean? You're going to want like a, a fruit smoothie. No, you're going to want Sprite. That's all he wants is Sprite. You know, and the answer is no. You had two sprites yesterday. Maybe. Never mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that was close. <laughs> he, they come busting through the door. Mom, we had sprite! <laughs> like it's, you know, like they got paid or something. But the gap in knowledge is what informs whether or not he receives the thing. And that's true in our relationship with God as well. We might be asking for what we think is bread. God, I need this. And God's like, no that's you totally do not need that that is a ho- no i'm not giving that to you that's a terrible idea and you're convinced of its goodness and god not so much so that's definitely a play but here's the problem so i don't know what the good things are that i should ask for so paul said this romans 8 likewise the spirit also helpeth our infirmities know what that word infirmities means it means feebleness of mind it doesn't mean physical weakness It means that we are feebly-minded. So in that context, think about what he's saying. Likewise, the Spirit, the Spirit of God, also helpeth our infirmities, our mental feebleness. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us. Intercession is standing in between two things. (laughs) So we're praying, God, I need this! Holy Spirit's like, no. So he doesn't need that. (laughs) That is totally not what he needs. What he needs is this. And God's like, yeah, you're right. That's intercession. So the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he, the Spirit, maketh intercession for the saints, notice this phrase, according to the will of God. Think about that. Which means the Holy Spirit filters your prayers through the will of God. That's incredible. That's part of the intercession process. Prayer gets to the Holy Spirit, the mind of God, the mind of the Spirit. The mind of the Spirit chews on it and says, nope, not God's will. Goes to God and intercedes not based on your will, but based on God's will. Very interesting. So there's a filtering process in prayer, which is awesome. But the root issue is our feebleness of mind. And that clouds our understanding of what we should pray for. Now, that means that sometimes we ardently pray for things that we believe are good, but we're completely wrong. We can be completely convinced of his goodness, but but the thing that we're asking for is actually contrary to the will of God, which is a way to define good. So how do you define good? Is it the will of God? Because the will of God is not just always good, it's only good. It's only good. So nothing passes through the Spirit to the will of God that is not good. But the problem is the gap of knowledge about what you think is good and what he knows is good. That's the problem, is the gap in the knowledge. So here's a question. How do we know then that we're praying for a good thing? How do we raise the probability that what we're praying for is good? How do I get the Holy Spirit to agree with me (laughs) that the thing that I want (laughs) is good? Uh, So number one, the first thing is this. The first problem or hindrance to effective prayer is a lack of proper introspection. A lack of proper introspection. Now notice how Jesus begins this dissertation, this thought. Verse 1 of chapter 7 is on judgment. So he comes after us, the judger, and he says, You are to judge what you are. Stop judging. That word judge means to be harsh in your judgment, to be overly harsh or rash in judgment. To just, I mean, you're just throwing it out like rice. You know, everywhere you go, you're judging everybody and everything. That's who you are. And you're judging too harshly. And the way that you know that you're judging too harshly, he says, is that if the same judgment were meted out to you, you would call it unjust. You say, that's not fair, which is always true, right? The people who are hyperjudgmental of other people, anytime they experience a small portion of what they have served others, they just cannot believe that anybody would do that to them. And it reinforces them their harsh judgment, of other people ironically and um, we all do that to some extent but Jesus opens this part of the discourse by talking about hypocritical and harsh judgment I preached a message on this passage a few years ago and I said multiple times in the lesson if your conclusion from this sermon is so and so is the problem you have missed the entire point of the message you don't get it okay The purpose of this passage is not so you could look at it and then copy and paste it onto someone else's character. The purpose of this passage is that you would stop thinking that exact way. So stop it. Don't do it. And apparently we had a relative of one of our church members who was watching online and right after it happened she went and wrote a Facebook post, a big long Facebook post that said I finally heard the words that needed to be said and I hope the right people were listening i was like you're really just right over your head literally right over your head the people who use this passage to paste it onto others missed the whole point they're doing the thing that jesus said not to do so now what does this have to do with prayer all right remember this statement a failure to properly judge the problem renders you powerless in prayer because you're asking God for the wrong solution. And being hyper-judgmental about problems will lead you to the wrong prayers because you're convinced that something is the problem that actually isn't the problem. And the Spirit looks at that and says, nope, that ain't it. So if you're convinced, for example, that Susie is the problem, and then Susie's not the problem at all, then how is God supposed to answer the prayer to fix Susie? God, Susie's the problem. God's like, I disagree. Problem's not Susie. He's like, God, why are you letting her do this? He's like, she's not the problem. we don't get it. So what we do is we don't then turn around and say, well, what I'm praying for isn't good. We can go so far down the road, we say God's not good for answering my bad prayer. Here's the way to think about it. If your prayer wasn't answered, it means the prayer wasn't good. By definition. That's what that means. Because if it was good, God would have given it to you. Or he's bad. Because to withhold good from people is bad. Yes? To withhold good from people is bad by definition. The problem is, we and God have different definitions of good. That's the problem. And we're convinced a lot of the times in prayer that other people are the issue. So we're praying for God to fix other people, to examine other people, to convict other people's heart. We do this in marriage. God. Fix my wife. God's like, good luck, buddy. I can do a lot of things. (laughs) I can do a lot of things, but I cannot do the absurd. I can do the impossible, but I can't do the absurd. So God, fix my husband. That's an even bigger problem. But a lot of times in marriage, where we have to get to is where we're asking God to fix us. And when we recognize what the problem is, the prayer request changes, and we get closer to getting the thing that God actually has for us. It's kind of like God has the good thing set aside for us already, but we keep asking for the wrong thing. That's why prayers go unanswered. One, they're unasked, and we'll talk about that in a second. But they're unanswered because God's like, no, that's not the good thing. Ask for the good thing, and I'll, I'll give it to you. So we've got to work our way to the place where we're actually asking God for a good thing. And the first step in that is you have to judge yourself because then you can properly understand the problem. And If you more so understand the problem, then you have a better idea at least about what the solution is. So James said, Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss. Here's something to think about that word. The the word sin means to miss the mark. It means to miss the mark. And there might be a connection between those those two ideas. And sometimes when we pray, we miss the mark. We're praying for something that misses the mark in addressing the problem. So then why would God give us that thing? It doesn't make any sense. That would make God complicit in our scheme to bring more bad into the world. And I don't think he's going to do that. So our lust for vengeance, sometimes, upon those who've done us wrong, is a hindrance to effective prayer. Why? Because it causes us to misdiagnose the problem. And what is the problem? So what's the actual problem? Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says it's us. Jesus says the problem is you. That's the actual problem. And what Jesus is saying here with the whole beam and moat thing is really a commentary on perspective. The, the, the beam and the mode analogy is, can be taken a lot of different ways. But the idea is that from, from my perspective, right, when I don't have the right perspective, your problems look big and my problems look small. That's how I know I have the wrong perspective. And When somebody comes in my office or I'm talking to someone, counseling someone, and the problem is always other people. This person, that person, my mother, my, my father, this person, that person, my this, my that. Okay, it's like you have a perspective issue. And I'd like to see your prayer list. You know, God fix this person. God convict this person. God get this person right. You know, God, that's like a parent with with overly unruly kids. And we're praying that God would fix their behavior while we continue to enable the thing that allows the behavior, right? It's like we have to examine us. God's not going to step in and be like, okay, kids, you're going to bed tonight at eight. God, thank you so much. I could not get them in bed. You know what I mean? It's like we have to work on us as parents. We got to get ourselves to the point that we're enacting the, the proper rules. We are convinced that other people are the problem until we begin grappling with the depths of our own ineptitude. If you want to change your prayer list and get a little closer to the good that God has for you in prayer, start yanking on the beam that's sticking out of, the, out of your head. Like that's the first thing. Grab a hold of that thing, start yanking on it, and you'll realize what you're up against. And when we start dealing with our problems, and you can even do this in the abstract too. People do this all the time. I've noticed politically people do this where they say, well, the problem is, insert abstract political term here. The problem is liberals. Problem is these rhino conservatives. It's like, I, I don't know, personally, I think the problem's you and me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, until you can get the problem down to a man, what, what are you going to do about rhino Republicans? What, do, what are you going to do? Nothing. That's the answer. Nothing. That's what you're going to do. No, not a thing. But you know, if you would change, this is something that we don't believe. We actually don't believe this, even though it's one of the most true things there is. If you would change as a person, individually, on your level, if you would get yourself together, if you would get rid of your bad habits and start being more of a model Christian every single day of your life and start to discipline yourself, if you would do that, it would do more to change the world than every vote, political contribution, that you could possibly imagine and that's true we don't believe that but it's true because listen we, we have we it is so easy to offload the problem the problem is this group over here wrong 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 perspective problem is this guy in mirror that's that's the problem me gk chesterton who i mentioned there was a news publication that sent out articles to all the prolific writers in england And they all got a copy, and they were all asked a question. What is wrong with the world? What is wrong with the world today? And they got back all kinds of answers. And Chesterton wrote back to the editor. It says, Dear Sir, I am truly yours, G.K. Chesterton. He understood. That's literally true, and that's what Jesus is saying. Now, here's the thing. We think, well, if I just work on my problems, what happens to them? If I just work on myself, what happens to that person? Okay, wait a second. The first thing that happens to you is you begin to see clearly. The beam's no longer sticking out of the head. Now you see that person for what they are. Your prayer for them now changes based on how you actually see them. Now you see them for what they are. Now you know how to pray good for them. You know how to pray good into their life. You know how to do that. The thing that you were praying to happen to them was bad. That's why God didn't do it. So the second thing we have to do is, or the second problem is a lack of proper articulation. So the first one is a lack of introspection. We're judging others and not ourselves. So we don't even know what the problems are, let alone the solution. So how are you going to pray effectively? Number two, a lack of proper articulation. Notice what the child asks for. The child gets so specific that, look, my kids don't do this. My kids do not articulate what they want. They walk up and they state a problem. That's what they do. So And and you see this with so from babies on, so babies can't articulate anything, so they go away, right? And you've got to guess. You have no idea. You're just like, all right, let's get out the, the wheel here and let's spin it. <laughs> passy? No? Okay. <laughs> like you're just guessing. It's a complete and total guess. As they get older, kids begin to articulate. Wawa, baba, passy, mama, dada. Dada is the best. I love him more than anyone. That kind of stuff. They start articulating in that way. And then as they get a little bit older, they start articulating even more. But if you notice, they don't walk up to you and say exactly what they want a lot of times. They walk up to you and they state a problem. They walk up, Dad, I'm hungry. And you're like, hello, hungry. Nice to meet you. I'm Zach. Like anything I can do for you? You know, is there, is there a request in there somewhere? Is there something that you would like? And I told my son, I said, son, you got to stop walking up to me and just stating a problem. We do that to God. God, the country's a mess. God, America's going to hell on a hand mask. And I ain't my God's like, What do you want me to do about it? Would you uh, prefer to articulate what it is exactly you'd like for me to do? We have to articulate what we want. You know, and the truth is most people are poorly skilled in articulating what they want. And I use the word want not in a selfish sense per se, but in a general sense. Like, what do you want from your marriage or how do you want your life to improve? I understand the differences between wants and needs, although that's overplayed to some extent because, you know, every need is a want, but not all wants our needs. Right? Who doesn't want their needs to be met? Like everyone. You're like, well, I have a need, but I don't really want it. Like what? That doesn't even, that doesn't even make any sense. So, but if, if you need proof that people are bad at articulating what they want, just ask someone what they want. What do you want for your birthday, honey? That's a dangerous question because you should already know is one of the answers. You should already know what she wants, right? And that's how she can come back at you. She says, oh, you know what I want. So my dad one time, my mom says that my dad buys the worst gifts, but here's what my mom does. My mom doesn't ask for anything. So dad's like, what do you want for your birthday, honey? And she's like, oh, just whatever. Just get me whatever, you, you know what I like. And then he calls me, what does your mom want for her birthday? Like, what are you asking me for? I have no idea. Here's the thing, ladies do this all the time and it's a test and we fail every time. It's difficult because, I don't know if you know this ladies, but there's billions of gifts in the world. And it would help (laughs) if you would just help us to funnel it down a little bit, all right? To help cancel out some categories for us, like you don't want lawn equipment. Just say that, because we're not sure. My my dad one time, for his birthday, he didn't ask for anything. And so my mom got him a ceiling fan for their bedroom. And I remember his face when he opened it. We were in their room. Here's my dad's big gift, it's a big box, you know? (laughs) And he's thinking, it's a saw, it's some tool, it's an air compressor, like what is this thing? He rips it off, it says Hampton Bay, Hampton Bay. And it's not a masculine fan, if there even is such a thing. It's like, it's the ceiling fan that my mom wanted for their room, that's what it was. And his face, he opened it, he just goes, hey! (laughs) It's a ceiling fan! It was awesome. but his problem was that he did not articulate what he wanted and so my mom got for him what she <laughs> wanted. Now we do something similar with God. so God has all these good things that he wants to give us and yet we come to him and just state a problem. God, I'm unhappy. God I'm not, God, my marriage isn't good and God's like, I know I'm, like I'm watching in real time. I see I see it all dissolving into a nightmare. you know what do you want me to do about it? Would you care to articulate? what it is exactly that you want. Now here's the reason why that's important is because if you can't articulate what it is that you want, how do you know it's good? So one thing that you can do in prayer is you can ask yourself, what exactly am I asking God to do? And if you can't get down to that level of specificity where you walk up to God and you say, God, I need a fish. not I'm hungry. Not so-and-so is mean to me when the truth is that you need a snack. Like that's you know that's true about people is that the number one way to get people to calm down is to give them food. That's actually true. That's not it's not even a joke. They've tested this type of thing. It's <laughs> the so number one thing you do if people are unhappy or unruly or misbehaving is you give them a pack of Mott's gummies or or whatever. Like that's Skinny Pop, whatever it is that they need. The sweet and salty is the best. Um, let's talk about popcorn. So, but that's what you do is you give them something. It calms them down. So if this person's a problem, know you're hungry. You got to work your way all the way to where you articulate and say, "I want a fish." And then when you ask for the fish, you get the fish. When you ask for the good thing, then you get it. And we need that level of specificity when we pray, because if we just prattle on, but don't actually ask for anything, we shouldn't be surprised when we don't receive it. James said, you have not because you ask not. And he didn't say you have not because you pray not. He said you have not because you ask not. There's a lot of prayer without asking. When the word pray means to ask, that's what it means. Yes, we pray and we enter in this course with thanksgiving, but at some point we got to get to the asking. And we, we have this idea, too, that God is like, really, just going to come to me and ask for something? I believe that's totally wrong. That's completely wrong. I believe the one who is goodness itself has good leaping out of him, springing out of him at all times. He does not withhold it and try to hold it back from you. Like, really, you're going to come in without buttering me up first? I don't think God is is like that. We don't do that with our kids. We're like, I mean, did you tell me how great of a dad I am today? We'd be like, the kid would be like, who do you think you are? And your dad, you know. I don't think God's like that either. God deserves to be praised not because of what he can give us, but because of who he is by definition. Like, when we think about who God is, praise springs out of us. And that's an us problem. One thing that you can do is you can ask yourself what exactly you want. So here's something that you could do. And, and you have to do this in more areas than just your prayer life. You have to articulate it in your marriage. What is it that you want from your spouse? So you say, there's a problem in my marriage. Okay, it's not your spouse, it's you. And even if that's not true, it's the only helpful way to think about it. Like what, it's the only practical way to think about it is I'm the problem. And it's probably more true than you, than you realize Okay, but then when you do that, it pulls the beam out of your head so you see clearly and now you know what to ask for and now you can begin the process of articulating what exactly you want from the other person because now you see them clearly. Before you said, I want you to stop doing such and so. That wasn't the problem, that wasn't it. But now you've judged yourself, you've stopped some things and dealt with some things. Now you can come back with the correct request. You can ask for the fish. You say, I need a fish from you and it's something that you can provide, it's something you actually have. So many times we ask things from people when they do not actually possess that thing. We ask them to fix problems they're not qualified to fix. If we would fix ourselves, one of the things that we would realize is we'd see them clearly, and then we can come to them and articulate what it is that we actually want and what they're actually qualified to give us. Kids do this with each other. They're asking for friendships, like deeper friendships than the other person can actually give or a different type of relationship than the person can actually give. We do that with our spouses all the time. So you could say, what is it exactly you want out of this Sunday school class? What is it that you want? Because if you ask for nothing, that's what you'll receive. So you have to ask for something. What is it that you want? And you have to begin to articulate that. And when articulation is a, is a process by which we separate the wheat from the chaff. And it's really important to do. It's why we have to sit down and we have to talk things out. And then, lastly, real quick, a lack of proper clarification. So... And that's verses 7-11. through So here's what happens. When we ask someone, if I ask Robert for something, his response to me helps me clarify the request. So, because here's the thing. If I'm asking him for something and it's within his right to give it to me, he has some say in whether or not fulfilling the request is good. An example would be if you pull up to the drive-thru and you say, I want food for free. Yeah, I want some food for free. So the person on the other side is like, "Yeah, we don't get any food for free. We're not getting any food for free today." Why does it sound like a Six Flags ride? Yeah, got you on. Know, they're already going going So the answer is no. Now, why is the answer no? You can retort back and say, "Well, it would be good for me. It would be good for me to get food for free from you." But the business would say, "Yeah, but it would be bad for us." So they're under no obligation to do what's good for you but bad for them. And in that context, they have a Role in whether or not the providing of the thing is actually good. And in that case, the definition would be mutual benefit. Taco Bell and you both have to benefit from the transaction, or the transaction is not of good faith. It's a good faith transaction. Okay, the same thing is true with God God does not give you something that's bad for Him, just like He doesn't give you something that's bad for you. It's a good faith transaction, it's a conversation. Here's a statement I want you to remember. Prayer is the process by which God helps us to understand what the good things are that he intends for us to have and by which we receive them. It's a process by which we realize, well, that wasn't good and that wasn't good and that wasn't good and that wasn't good. It's not that he's a bully. It's not just that I'm hungry. It's that I need a fish. That's what it is. And we get down to that level and then God provides. And that's what he does. And If he doesn't provide, he's saying, no, that's not good. So some people say this. I had a, a pastor actually asked me this. One time he said, if God knows what we need, why pray? I think the answer is the answer is that prayer isn't just, and it's not. Prayer is not about getting God to act. That doesn't make any sense. How can you you can't force or compulse God to do anything? God does everything that He does out of grace. God chooses to act. He's He's not, even Spurgeon compared it to a nerve. You know, he talks about it's it's a nerve that pulls on the hand of God. Not exactly right either, because that's an involuntary movement. That's not really right. And I know what he's saying. He's meaning it in abstract terms, but that's involuntary. Like, it just happens. It's not biology. That's not where it is. Everything that God does, he chooses to do for his own reasons. That's why. That's why he would do anything. That's the only reason a perfectly good being would do anything. All right, so then the, the purpose that we pray isn't to get God to do something, it is a process by which God helps us to understand what good is. That's what I realized. That's why we pray. That's why God doesn't just shoot things into our life because we wouldn't know what's good and bad anyway. So prayer is a a way by which we change the way that we see the world. That's what I realized. And that's true. It's It's a way that you change the way you see other people and the way that you see yourself and the way that you see your circumstances because you think you're praying for a good thing and then God says no. Okay, guess what has to happen? Now you have to change your definition of good. That's why we pray. God is helping, ushering us to a definition of what's actually good so that he can give it to us. And I think that that's incredible. Paul in his thorn in the flesh. Paul asked three times, take it out, take it out, take it out. God says, no. Why? The good that would be accomplished by leaving it in was greater than the good that would be accomplished by taking it out. So what did Paul have to do? Clarify his request. He didn't ask four or five, six, seven times. So ask, seek, knock is not ad infinitum where we say, Well, there's a difference between ad infinitum and ad nauseum. For we ask until God's like, stop asking! Please stop! No, I'm not taking it out. I'm not doing that. Why? Because the good that would be accomplished by not doing that thing was greater than the good that would be accomplished by doing it. So, by prayer we define what's good. And here's the definition of good, I think. Good has to be defined in prayer as good for you, good for those around you, good for the community, in the world at large, and good in all of those instances now and continuing into the future, and glorifying to God for eternity. That's probably one of the explanations of the will of God. It's always good for you. We know that. Now, doesn't mean it makes you happy. It doesn't mean it makes you go, yay! Like, good's different than happy, or ecstasy, or euphoria. It's different different things. Good is delayed pleasure, not instant gratification. So, but it's, it's good for you now, good for you later, good for those around you, good for your family, and it glorifies God for eternity. And those are the things that when I get to them, God says, yep, you got it. And those are the things he says. If you ask for those things, I will always give them to you. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, make sure to leave a like, rate, and share the podcast. And don't forget to hit the follow button to get new episodes sent directly to your phone every Tuesday. See you in the next episode. God bless.